So, Mark. Yes. In the movie that we watched this week, turn of the 21st century computers play an important plot role. One of my favorite plot roles, honestly, because just seeing the computers brings back such fond memories. Right, I mean, to the point that at one point, Tula helps get to her goal by saying to her dad, maybe we should get a computer for the place. Right, it's that transition period where I'm not even sure if we had a computer. I think we had a computer by 2002, but maybe not much earlier. So we absolutely did because my mom did graphic design work as a freelancer, so she needed a computer at home to do work. And then we had another one that my dad would use for, I don't know, whatever my dad was doing, and we would use to play educational computer games a lot. The greatest computer games. Uh, Truly the best. And that's actually part of what I was thinking about, because seeing those old computers with the big monitors, remember when your computer screen was convex? Yeah, and... It would curve outward towards you like the ghost arm out of the TV in Poltergeist, just dragging you into the wonders of the internet. It also probably made the same sounds as a lot of ghosts, I imagine. Well, I mean, just logging onto the internet was hearing a cacophony of horrendous spectral screams. And one of the best places to... And you couldn't be on the phone at the same time. My favorite place to go online was probably in school typing classes, a thing that will exist for basically a decade's worth of children, because I feel like they've probably had to phase them out because kids don't need to learn how to type anymore. Objection. Kids do need to learn how to type. They don't know how to type, but they need to learn. I watch too many kids slowly hunt and peck to say they don't need to learn it. Or at least schools, I feel like, don't teach it anymore. There you go. But that class in second grade, that one day a week where they'd say, all right, we're going to the computer lab, and you'd sit down, and they'd cover your hands, and you'd have to learn how to type without looking. What typing software did they use to teach you to type? I don't think it was Mavis Beacon. I remember a little dwarf. A little dwarf? Like a garden gnome-esque dwarf who was on screen telling us how to type. I do not know that one. We had Mario teaches typing. I went to school in Georgia, so I can't imagine that the education funding paid for the highest grade of the (laughs) typing software. So Mario teaches typing was a side-scrolling typing game where you put your hands in the standard starting position and Mario's just like running along and on the blocks above him that you could like run up and smash, you had to hit whatever key was indicated on the block to like get the bonuses or like jump over turtles or whatever. So, we had the most boring typing software, but once you finished, you could play Kid Picks. Yo, Kid Picks! In addition to the Mario one, we also had this one, and for years I have tried to find out what it is. I cannot find it. But it was this thing, and before you started, you would select which little video you wanted to have associated with your typing. And then as you typed, that icon would move along with you. So, like, I distinctly remember a banana, and the banana would follow you around with your letters, and then at the end, it would, like, peel the banana, and then you would start all over again. Wait! Like a new image. I have no recollection of this except for watching a banana peel itself. Yes! I don't know what company it is. I don't know what it, like, I don't remember any of the other icons, but I remember the banana peeling itself. Wow, I did not recall that. Of course, like, later on, I played a little bit of this. You probably never did, but Mora... Played a decent amount of jumpstart typing. Oh, I played that. Okay. Just um, not at school, just at sure. home. The only thing I remember about jumpstart typing was there was a game that was kind of like the trench run game where you have to pilot the starship or in some versions it's a helicopter through a cave and like dodge stalagmites and stalactites. 
it was kind of like that, but you were a dude on a skateboard and you had to dodge obstacles. And it played just a loop of the baseline of another one bites the dust for the entire time until you died. And occasionally the robot, if you did it, it was either if he fell or if you got a lot right in a row, he would go, another one bites the dust, which I didn't understand because I did not know what that song was in the background. Did you guys have the computer games that were designed to trick you into learning? Um, we had games that we openly knew were teaching us. We played a lot of those jumpstart games. So there was one that I had called the Clue Finders, which was... Okay, that, that is some sneaky educational stuff. You just know that from the title. Yeah, that Those people are trying definitely... to teach you some stuff about, like, mummies or something. Right, it was by The Learning Company, but it was a puzzle game that taught you things. And the only thing I could remember for the longest time was, like, the menu and all that was done through a floating yellow computer that had eyes. Weird. And that there was one level where there were bugs that I think were supposed to be beetles, and they were parodying the beetles, which I'm sure every child at the age of eight understood. But I just looked it up, and apparently it was criticized in the late 90s when it came out for shoehorning in each of the four characters being a different race. And Yikes. what a terrible world we live Oof. in. One critic blamed the California Board of Education or something for jamming this PC nonsense down these kids' bullshit. Or PC bullshit for jamming this stuff down kids' throats. It is very late for me. <laughs> yeah, Mark is going to slowly descend into madness as this episode goes on. It's true. He's just going to become the mute grandmother yelling about the Turks, which I guess would make him not mute, but just angry and wandering through sprinklers. Yeah, I wouldn't describe her as mute. Just, you know, only focused on one thing, the Turks. <laughs> Constant vigilance, Mark. Which, based off of one of my professors who is Greek- that doesn't sound too far off from reality. No. Unfortunately. Oh, we should probably start the show. I mean, or we could just talk this. about computers for a while. I could keep going. Uh, you ever play Math nah. Blasters? Nah. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the most important issue of our day. Namely, in the 1990s math education computer game Math Blasters colon In Search of Spot, who was it who kidnapped Spot again? Because I do not remember. A green alien. Okay, also, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? I mean, if you really want to know who kidnapped Spot, you should hire The Pet Finders Club, a children's book series that I was the model for in the illustrations. <gasps> what? <laughs> Wait a minute, stop everything. What's it called? <laughs> the Pet Finders Club. I don't think it's in print what anymore. What is this? So one of my friends, like our neighbors in the neighborhood we lived in in Georgia, was a child's book illustrator, and she was commissioned to illustrate this book series. And so she asked her next-door neighbor's kid, Daniela, who was one of my friends, to be a model, and then Daniela asked me and another one of her friends, so the three of us would pose for pictures, and then the illustrator would take the pictures and draw them into the book. Uh, do you know which title book you are in? I'm in all of them. I'm one of the main three. Oh. Okay, I'm on thriftbooks.com, and I'm seeing several of these. Interesting. Yes. I played Tristan Saunders is my character. What? <laughs> Mark, I've known you for too long to not know this already. I mean, if the book series had gotten a bit more popular, I probably would have been a model. Know. 
paid attention to this more, but it was very fun because we would like hang off of the porch and then in the drawing, we'd be on a train so in these danger. Are, these are picture books? They are like middle elementary books. Okay. Because the covers only have animals on them. Yeah, it's internal. Like, it's the inside illustrations. Okay. I think I'm probably only in the first couple of them. So you would say you're in Comeback Buddy. Twelve. Max is Definitely missing. Definitely Comeback Buddy. Looking for Lola. Yeah. Max Rescuing is Raisin. The dog with no yeah. name. I think I bought a secondhand copy of the Pet Finders Club sometime, but it is gone. Looking for Lola is on Amazon for $28.99, and there's so only that. one left in stock. Thriftbooks.com, which is not a website I know, has all 12 for like four bucks a pop. Well, if you buy it, you can post a picture of me as Tristan Saunders online. Yeah, I may do this. We all know I commit to too many dumb things and maybe shouldn't. So if you want to know what happens in the first book, Comeback Buddy is the first one. So Natalie moves to town. And her dog Buddy goes missing, and she makes friends with a boy named Tristan, and they solve the case and find Buddy. And it doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. (laughs) Either way, we'll dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are rejoined by my sister, Fiona, hashtag Fifi Fierce, to discuss one of our most requested movies, the unbelievable hit from 2002, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Hello! So, a lot of people have asked us to cover this movie. Yeah, we're trying to be more deliberate about covering some listener requests that we have been ignoring for a while. So, we're getting to them. It'll happen. Take your scraps and be happy. (laughs) I can't believe you just admitted to ignoring your loyal fans. And we're not ignoring them. We just, in part because of the distance thing, we've been planning so far out that, like, listeners will suggest something and we're like, well, maybe we could get to it in six months. And then by that time, Uh we forget. Gotcha, gotcha. We were recording December episodes in August last year. Yeah. The Jack Frost episode is mostly about how hot it is outside. (laughs) Well, that's what turns Snow Dad into No Dad. He melts. Actually, he never really melts. He gets blown away by magic wind. He starts to melt on his uh, suicidal walk across the parking lot. True. So, by Big Fat Greek Wedding, this movie was everything. Oh my gosh. Um, I think to start off, you and Fiona should tell us about your relationships with this movie because I'm really excited to go deep on some of the background stuff, but we should establish a baseline first. I am pretty sure I saw this, not in theaters, I was too young for that, but it's definitely a movie I don't remember seeing the first time and have seen so many times that watching it this time, after years having not seen it, I enjoyed it, but I still knew the jokes too well to really laugh out loud. That happened to me with season one of Community for a while. I had to stop watching it because I anticipated the jokes too much. Yeah, I have this movie so deeply memorized. So I don't I don't think I saw this movie until I was in high school, which was a couple years after it came out. Because in 2002, if it wasn't a Disney movie, I wasn't watching it. Okay, and... Fiona, since you brought that up, <laughs> I've got so much stuff on the box office of this movie because it's legendary. The weekend that this opened, it opened in 20th place. At the top 10 included The Scorpion King, The Mummy spinoff, The Rookie, the Dennis Quaid baseball movie that we absolutely saw in theaters. Right, but that is also a Disney movie. Right. Ice Age, which we saw in theaters and is a Fox movie. True. And not a movie we saw in theaters, but a movie we saw several times, Clockstoppers. I've never seen that. <laughs> you have what the f*** is Clockstoppers? You have absolutely seen Clockstoppers because in the summer of 2003, I believe? No. 
Summer two. 2002. We took a train from D.C. to Florida. It was an overnight train, an Amtrak. And they showed two movies on a loop on that train. Spider-Man, the biggest hit of 2002. And Clockstoppers, the movie in which there is a secret agent crew that has watches that can stop, stop time. Stop it, I remember and the this movie. people wearing the watches can like go around and do stuff like the Quicksilver scene from X-Men, but less interesting. Okay, I do remember that that movie was on the train. I could not tell you a single thing about that movie, though. I just told you everything I could tell you about it, but I've seen it three times. I could have sworn that was a DCOM. No, that no. was a theatrical release. I bet oh, it was like PG-13, too. Bottom of the barrel era for Disney. Oh, maybe not. It's uh, Nickelodeon Pictures. Oh, it was Nickelodeon. Yeah, that also sounds right. But like their theatrical division. <laughs> right. The same people that released the Wild Thornberries movie. I saw that in theaters, too. Me, too. Produced by Gail Ann Hurd. Of Terminator fame. Yes. And Michael Bean is in this movie, too. So this is just a Terminator reunion. My God. Anyway, my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah, so I was only seeing this for the second time. I saw it once, probably when I was in high school, and then again this past weekend. It's good. How had you not seen it with, like, the rest of our family watching it? I saw it once with our family, and then once on Saturday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think this is a movie Suzanne chose, and she often chose without deliberation. So she she would just choose the same thing over and over again? Yeah. So this was one of the movies I watched many times. I mean, of all the movies, it's not a bad one. No, it could be worse, such as when she would just watch the song from Anastasia during the credits 12 times in a row. Just the song? Yeah, she just kept rewinding the VHS of Anastasia to watch the credits over and over. So that's one I've never seen. I saw that in theaters. It's fun. All right. I've heard that. Not historically accurate. Well, no. No. It's also not a Disney movie, even though people always think it is. Right, because it's something we've talked about before. It's from that window in the 90s when, like, everybody is trying to get in on the animated movie game because with the Disney Renaissance going on, these movies are making tons of money. They're getting Oscar nominations all over the place. So everyone's trying to get in on it. That's a Fox movie. You've also got Warner Brothers producing The Iron Giant. You've got Amblimation putting out the American Tale stuff. Even, like smaller scale releases like quest for camelot there's a real animation surge during the 90s and they're all playing in that like disney musical zone anastasia has the benefit of being about a princess too right which really makes it feel like it's of a piece with that movie trying to brainwash us into supporting the russian monarchy (laughs) i mean aren't the choices in that movie the monarchy or rasputin yeah the communists are never mentioned yeah so they're not giving you great options (laughs) no so My Big Fat Greek Wedding is written by its star, Nia Vardalos, and it started as a one-woman play that she did in L.A. in 1997 based on her family in Winnipeg and her experience dating a non-Greek man. I did not realize that Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks were producers on this. Yes. So what happened was she's, like, putting on her play, and she actually marketed it to Greek Orthodox churches in L.A. to be like, you'll come and see this. That's awesome. And it worked. Like, the show was a big hit. And Rita Wilson saw it as part of the Greek-American community. She loved it, told Hanks to go see it. And then Neo Vardalos was, like, shopping it around, trying to get it made. And Hanks contacted her being like, hey, I would love to make this movie happen. Like, this looks like my wife's family. And so he was a big part of getting the movie made. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. I love every time I hear that a one-woman show does well. 
because the one-person show is never portrayed well in movies. No, but there's, like, so much fun that can be had, frankly, at the expense of a self-indulgent one-person show. Like, think about the big sick and the way that Kumail has to go (laughs) deep on the rules of cricket to explain his story. (laughs) There's such good fodder for being made fun of, so it's a nice reminder when it works out. It's interesting that they had to move it to Chicago. Yeah, instead of doing it in Winnipeg. Wait, is she from Winnipeg? Yeah, she's Canadian. Yeah, she's Canadian. Oh. And her husband was not only not Greek, he was not Canadian. It was an American named Ian Gomez, who she met while doing Second City shows. So she did have a Chicago connection. Okay. That makes sense. Chicago, also probably the most famous Greek town in North America. So when I was trying to remember what her name is, I discovered that she apparently has been typecast as a Greek character. I discovered a movie that I did not know existed. Was it My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2? No, it's called My Life in Ruins, where she's like a travel agent in Greece. Hang on, I'm going to find the summary for you. Great pun, though. Right? Yeah, Life the in title. Ruins for a Greek movie is pretty solid. A travel guide rediscovers her romantic side on a trip around Greece. Hang on, let me find. Uh, so she is a Greek-American teacher who came to Greece to teach at a local college about classic Greece. But she got laid off because of budget cuts. And so she got a job as a tour guide. She thinks she hit rock bottom. She's also ranking poorly as a guide because the tourists think she's boring. So then she's leading a tour around Greece with a bunch of misfit tourists. And she thinks she's a failure because they're just concerned about buying t-shirts. And then she finds these Canadian tourists who are more engaged in the history and culture instead of going shopping for souvenirs. And I guess... So the Canadians are the heroes of this movie. Right. Yes. Did she write this? Ah, written... By, no, she did not write it. It's starring her. But so then she meets an older travel named Irv Gideon, played by Richard Dreyfuss. And he helps Georgia see why she can't connect with the group. And he shows her how to have fun. And I'm assuming they fall in love. Oh, no, he, well, he's an older traveler, so maybe not. Or maybe they do. Holy cow. The tagline for this movie on the poster is, the star of my big fat Greek wedding is finally going to Greece. Yeah. Like, the poster is just like, she... Was in a movie about Greece, and here she is in Greece. I mean, that's solid marketing. (laughs) I feel like I would have expected them to couch it a little bit. That's like if you were going to do a movie that's like in the 80s, you're like, this time, Stallone's in Australia. But it's the star of My Big Fat Greek Wedding and... And not much else, all respect to Nia Vardalos. There is an incident in this movie where another Greek man insults her Canadian tour group by referring to them as Americans, and they beat him up as a result. What? Yes. Doesn't sound very Canadian. No, you're right. So the fact that they could sell this movie, My Life in Ruins, on the star of My Big Fat Greek Wedding is a testament to what a hit this movie was. It was ultimately the number five movie at the box office for the year of 2002, which is kind of wild. That's insane. The only movies that grossed above it were, in order from one to four, Spider-Man, which had, at the time, the biggest opening weekend of all time, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and Signs. Oh my god. So like four things that all were kind of set up before release to be massive hits. And then at number five, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, an independent movie made for five million dollars. Yeah, I feel like the budget difference between them is probably very different too. Oh, hugely so. I want to talk about the box office of this movie because it has a legendary run that 
will never be matched by any other movie. Like, this is why this movie is so fascinating to me. My Big Fat Creek Wedding opens April 19th, 2002, like I said earlier, in 20th place on 100 screens to $597,000. But it was just this word-of-mouth sensation that kept climbing and kept adding theaters. It didn't appear on 1,000 screens until week 18... Week 18, oh my God. on a thousand screens, it was in sixth place and made 5.7 million. Ahead of it at that point, Fiona, for another sense of this year, when it was in sixth place, it was behind Triple X with Vin Diesel, Signs, Blue Crush, Gold Member, and Spy Kids 2, Island of Hidden Dreams. Ooh, Spy Kids 2. That's the one with Steve Buscemi, isn't it? Yes. The movie spent three weeks at second place. Those are weeks 20, 21, and 22 of its release at second place. It never made it to number one, but each of those weekends had a different number one movie at the box office. Signs the first week, Swim Fam the second, and Barbershop the third, which means that each of those weeks, a new movie would come into first place, and the previous number one would drop below Big Fat Greek Wedding, sitting solid at number two. That is awesome. It didn't drop out of the top 10 until week 33 on November 29th. Holy shit. And it stayed in theaters through the week of April 3rd, which means it was in theaters for 51 weeks and grossed $241 million, again, against its $5 million budget. That's, it's just so insane. It is a 51-week miracle run that will never be matched. Adjusted for inflation, it's the highest grossing movie ever to not land at number one. If you don't adjust for inflation, then the universal animated movie Sing beat it out. The opening weekend I just saw only accounts for 0.2% of its total gross. Yeah, there's a metric in calculating how long legs a movie has in the box office, which is called its multiplier. And the multiplier for Big Fat Greek Wedding just blows everything out of the water. This is just, it's such a wild phenomenon. I want to tell you one more insane thing about this movie's box office run, because it's so long. The movie's a massive hit. Everyone's like, we've got to cash in on this. CBS had a series set after the movie called My Big Fat Greek Life that basically everyone in the cast except for John Cornford. Like, it starred Nia Vardalos, and, like, all the supporting cast was there, and it was- Even Joey Fatone? No. But, like, everybody else. If I remember correctly, it did not do well. Well, it's a a little tricky. So, they changed the lead character's name to Nia and Thomas, but it's still, like, a Greek woman and her family, played by the same people, married to a waspy English teacher. The pilot premiered to really high ratings. Like, 22 million people watched the pilot. And then it fell off pretty quickly. They only aired seven episodes. Here's the thing. It debuted on February 24th, 2003, which means this series, this sequel series to a movie, debuted while that movie was still in theaters. Holy shit. And would be in theaters for another month and a half. That's basically the whole run of the show. Yes. The show is basically aired entirely while the movie is still in theaters. Correct. And I will say, I watched one clip of the show from the pilot that I was able to find on YouTube. It's, like, not amazing, but, frankly, the movie itself is really charming, but has a lot of sitcom instincts. Right. So the show doesn't feel, again, in the handful of clips I was able to find, all of that different. No, I mean, this movie definitely has a lot of sitcom tropes in it. I think it's a movie that's, in a way, greater than the sum of its parts, in that, like, it is a really charming and fun movie, and you take it in, and it's 
like so warm and fun. And there are moments where you're like, huh, the sound mix in this scene isn't so good. It's weirdly echoey for no reason. And there are some places where the lighting's a little bit funky. I think the transitions are really weird, but you don't really care. You're like, whatever, we're having a good time. Yeah, I mean, it is a $5 million budget movie. Directed by a guy who pretty much only made television. Right. I love how you have this in the notes as my BFG wedding, well, yes, which I course. just noticed. I keep thinking it's like, the big friendly giant. It is, of course, yeah. my BFG wedding. Um, you've got all the, the nibnobblers and the, the grubble snatchers are coming out at the night and they're going to... I can't do... I don't think I can do a BFG voice. We need to bring in Mark Rylance here. I don't think we need you to. Yeah. Uh, but yes, in my brain and in my notes, it is my BFG wedding. It's definitely shorter that way. So should we start breaking down the romance? That'll cover basically the whole movie. Or do you have more fun facts? Uh, my only other fun facts really are about its awards campaign, which happens largely because the movie is such a hit. This is the kind of thing that would be ignored, except it was such a box office titan that Hollywood kind of had to pay attention to it. And it's kind of nice to see a small movie rewarded in that way. Nia Vardalos won an Indie Spirit Award for Best Debut Performance. The movie was nominated at the Golden Globe for Comedy, where it lost to Chicago, and Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, where it lost to Renee Zellweger in Chicago. And... It was nominated at the Oscars for Best Original Screenplay, along to Far From Heaven, Gangs of New York, and Itu Mama Tambien, where it lost to Pedro Almodovar for Talk to Her. So, like, it's cool that this was able to get in the mix there. That is really fun. Especially because this movie, I like that it got all these nominations, but based on the other nominees, I do think that it, you know... It yeah. earned the nomination. The nomination is the win. Frankly, the box office is the win for this movie, but it's cool to see something force its way in there. And oftentimes, like... That is how comedy gets recognized by the Oscars is a comedy makes a ton of money and the Oscars say, cool, screenplay nomination. Imagine how much, like, imagine watching your movie get this much money. Yeah, based on your one-woman show. Wow. And you think Fleabag is a good adaptation of a one-woman show that got really big. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like no movie will ever have a run like this did. No. It's insane that it did happen. It's not even one where you could be like, oh, it's the box office has changed and that's why this will never happen again. It's kind of more like, no, this really shouldn't have happened in the first place. But it rules that it did. But it's great that it did. Uh, All right. I have one important question to raise. Okay. Why are there three children in one family with three very distinct accents? I think they went to different schools. Because Athena sounds very Chicago. And Nia has the very, you know, as neutral as you can get in Hollywood with a bit of probably Winnipeg thrown in there. And then you have her brother who almost sounds like an Italian stereotype. Oh, he absolutely (laughs) does. He walked out a little Italy. Coming soon to this podcast. We are really, with these and and Moonstruck, we're really hitting the white ethnic romances pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. White ethnic romances where the actors aren't generally played by the ethnicity that they are performing. Sometimes. I mean, Nia is Greek in this, but Cher is not Italian. No, 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 no. Actually, when she was shopping around the script before Hanks picked it up, Nia Vardalos encountered a couple of executives who wanted to change the ethnicity to Hispanic to make it more accessible to American audiences. Hmm. That's really interesting because, like, that makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. It, it does, but it's weird to hear. It's weird oh, to hear, yeah. but that is more accessible. feel like my big fat Greek wedding did a lot to introduce Greek culture to the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. when Windex really took off, right? 
Yeah, no one used Windex before this. And Windex uh, is imported from Greece. Is that true? Yeah, they take yeah. waters from the pool where Achilles was dipped, and they they just sell that as Windex in a spray bottle. Uh, Achilles so the, was dipped in a river. Will yeah, I couldn't. I was making it up as I went along. So the water is that bluish color. Yeah, yeah. The river sticks. Ah, uh-huh. that's how it protects you. And how like the it river kills it protected Achilles. And it protects you from stuff. Bug bites and mosquitoes. Like it Zits. kills a zit. True fact, Achilles never had a zit. Except have you guys ever... on his ankle. <laughs> have you guys ever considered trying that? Trying what? No. Oh, Windex. Windex on... I thought you meant dipping a baby in a river. No. <laughs> <laughs> like spraying Windex on a bug bite or a zit or anything. I have never thought of doing that. Are you serious? I mean, I... Have you done it, Fiona? No, I've been too nervous. I guess it's the idea of, like, putting ammonia on a bug bite, and I'm sure there's ammonia in Windex. Yeah. I guess that's true. But I can't imagine it would be good for your skin. Oh, no. You mean I should not fill a whole bowl and just rest my elbow in it? Mm, Probably not. Only one way to find out. I'll report back. All right. So I really had to get the accent thing off my chest, but should we start breaking down the romance? Sure, why not? Every week, we divide the romantic plotline up into five points to make it easier to digest. So, Fiona, as our guest, would you kindly guide us through the romance that is the heart of a movie about a wedding, unsurprisingly? I I would. I hope you guys appreciate my short uh, point titles this time. Oh my gosh, these are not each one page long. Yeah, I really made an effort for you guys. comprehensible. I made an effort for you guys. You succeeded. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so point one is the restaurant life. And this is when you meet Frumpy Tula, where she lives basically in a brown color scheme. She wears a brown sweater covered with a brown cardigan, brown pants. And so she's working at her family's restaurant. And in this time is when she and Ian meet for the very first time. Sorry. My brain stopped. You know, you ever have one of those days? And you say, like, oh, going along and it oh, stop. <laughs> yeah. Here I am standing here, your own private Greek statue. <laughs> uh, he shows up one day with his coworker, uh, Mike, who teaches at the same school that he works at. And they walk in. She is super awkward. She ignores Mike the entire time. He asks her, he, well, first they look at her and she's been standing at their table just staring at Ian for about maybe five minutes. Then Mike asks for some coffee. And instead, Tula fills Ian's cup and walks away. So they're very jarred by that experience, and it continues on. When they go to leave the restaurant, she crouches down next to the register. I guess she's trying to hide, and Mike just kind of walks up, puts some money on the counter, and says, keep the change. That's Um, pretty fantastic. I love how she tries to hide, but it also gives us a sense of her as a character who, in a way, is used to blending into the background. She is not used to standing out, and so she assumes that she can blend in even further. But I do love her her joke about being their own personal Greek statue. I did like how Ian laughed at that. That was a good way. That's a good first step in a romance, I think. Yeah. I agree. The only person to laugh at a joke, that's when you're really like, aw, meant to be. So (laughs) Ian is played by John Corbett, who had been on Northern Exposure, and he was in Volcano. And he actually was sent the script to audition for it and wasn't going to be able to do it because there was a mix-up with scheduling the audition, and he was in Canada filming Serendipity, so he wasn't going to be able to make it to L.A. to audition. But Nia Vardalos and Gary Goetzman from Playtone, Tom Hanks' production company, 
were in Toronto scouting locations in Toronto's Greek town to shoot. And they were sitting in a bar and heard John Corbett on the phone talking about how annoyed he was, how disappointed he was that he wasn't going to be able to make this audition because he liked the script so much. So they walked up to him at the bar, introduced themselves and said, do you want the part? And cast him on the spot in the bar. He didn't even have to audition? Correct. Wow. Uh, imagine being someone that actually auditioned. Right. Well, oh, yeah. So true. Oh, and then, so I... At one point, her sister finds a pamphlet in the restaurant. It's mixed in with the menus, but it's about a computer class. And so she convinces her parents to let her go to computer class. She revamps her look. She starts to sit with the cool kids at school and is starting to make some minor life improvements. Basically, she just starts to take care of herself. And one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is she started taking care of herself not to get the guy. Yes. Yeah, it was really for herself. I like that too. Like, there is absolutely a makeover sequence, like, almost on the degree of The Princess Diaries, where it is a significant shift, but she does it for herself. Yeah. And it's also interesting, because at the same time, it's not that significant. She learns to wear contacts. She, you know, early 2000s curls her hair. Oh, she, and she brushes her wearing hair. Makeup. That's a big step too. Yeah. And, you know wears makeup and the movie does such a good job with such little changes making a huge difference in this character yeah it's a good transition i think i think actually similarly this is jumping ahead but something else i like about this movie is that when ian wants to take her to a greek restaurant he's like yeah i know this place dancing zorbas she doesn't like make up a nonsense lie about why they can't go but she just says like my family owns that place i don't want us to go there which means that we get to dodge like the most annoying element of rom-coms, which is like, the manufactured conflict that we then need to get past. Right, because this movie does not need to really artificially manufacture conflict. Right. Right, right. And it is nice that they acknowledge that. Yeah, it just dodges some of the most annoying aspects of some rom-coms pretty well. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it was so popular. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel cheap in those ways. And it doesn't feel like it's patronizing towards Tula either. The way that it would be if she had to be like, taught how to make herself look good right and i also like that too is that she just does it herself she doesn't have a teacher sit her down like she gets help but it's not like you see her you know fashion cousin nikki putting her contacts in for her or anything she just is kind of like i'm gonna just start dressing better yeah it's good um one of my favorite parts of the movie that we end up skipping because of where point one is but one of the dad's hobbies is to explain to people how all words we know come from greek and him trying to explain how kimono is actually a greek derived word is one of my favorite scenes it is pretty great um one other thing that i noticed at the restaurant while she's working there is her brother is working there as a cook as well and he pops up from behind the wall with strips of raw bacon just like oh, placed I know. across his Ugh. face. That's so gross. Food poisoning city. Seriously. One thing that drove me crazy because it is accurate is when there's a family conference about dealing with Tula who is 30 and old and needs to get married is then her brother who is only one year younger than her is like, oh, I'm going to get married too soon, Pa. You don't have to worry. And his dad's just like, oh, you've got plenty of time to really highlight the double standard in this family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the family is very concerned about her ending up as an old maid. Well, the dad starts telling her when she's in high school that she looks old and, like, falling apart. And specifically that she needs to marry a Greek man. So, is that point one? So they have their encounter in the restaurant, but then I guess the next time Tula sees him is in point number two. She has successfully used 
the need for computers in the store to get the okay for her to be taking classes at local college and is now working not at the restaurant, but at the travel agency, also owned by a member of her family, where she is being a computer whiz. And she is thriving. Right. She's on four phone calls at once, talking to British Airways, getting things done. She's truly living her best life in a job position that will be dead within a decade. (laughs) And she gracefully dances around the office as she does all of it. I'm serious. No one in my family has ever gone out with a non-Greek before. No one. And you're, you're, you're just, you know, wonderful. But I just don't see how this is going to work out. But so yeah, so while she's sitting there, we see Ian walk past. I think he's trying to get a hot dog or something. He looks in, he sees this beautiful woman in the travel agency who seems very happy Uh, She recognizes him. He does not recognize her, though, because she's a new woman. They smile at each other, but then she, in her fashion, slides down to duck behind the water cooler, and then he can't find her and walks away. Which is odd, because the water cooler is transparent. Exactly. She's very good at camouflage, Yeah, She's been practiced. So... A couple days later, he casually walks past the travel agency again, and this time he does a little performance for her, and he pretends to go down the stairs doing like a gooseneck as he walks, uh, and he ends up running into an old lady who then beats him up with her purse. I will say, on his part, not a terrible move, kind of fun flirting, not too aggressive. Yeah, it's just kind of goofy. Yeah, I I like it as a flirty move. Right, because he's not forcing himself like into her space like he could be doing it even if it's someone that he didn't want to flirt with he's just like oh there's a person alone in an office let me entertain them right that woman really beat him up though she was mad yeah because it's not like he was aggressive towards her he was obviously not paying attention well that's what you get constant vigilance we've been over this (laughs) so he goes into the travel agency and i and she gives him I think I think she gives him ice for his nose. And she has now fallen because she walked towards him with her corded headphones still on and gets pulled Which is back apparently by the, cord. the strongest cord on the planet. Yeah, it knocks her over. <laughs> and apparently she has glued it to her face. <laughs> it takes nothing for my headphones to be ripped out of my head, which I hate. But I never exactly. get pulled down with them. Uh, maybe she's just weak. <laughs> she hasn't spent much time outside of the diner yet, so she had she doesn't have exposure to the outer world. She must weigh nothing. Yeah. Uh, so they sit there. They're talking on the floor for a while. They seem to be getting along really great. And then he asks if she wants to go to dinner, and she says yes. So they go out, and while they're eating dinner, she tells him that her family is Greek. And he says, you know what? I want to take you to this Greek restaurant. And like Will mentioned, she's- How do we feel about that, actually? I was wondering, like, how do we feel about his- insistence on taking her out to greek food like is it nice and open or is it like kind of patronizing both yeah i think both i think it would make more sense if she were like i'm really greek you've never had greek food before let me take you to eat greek food then for him to be like oh you're greek well let's do that then it's weird because like i mean imagine if like somebody were on a date with like a mexican american and was like we have to have mexican food (laughs) we would be like that's not okay (laughs) right no it's not really okay But it's also not, like, the worst that it could be. Right. On some level, he's trying to be like, yes, I want to engage with your identity. Right. Right. 
So she says, no, I don't want to go there. My family runs that restaurant. And he says, all right, fine. We'll go to Italian instead. By the way, he does, in the course of that conversation, remember her and identify her as Frump Girl. No, she identifies herself as Frump Girl. And he says, I don't remember Frump, but I do remember you, which is sweet. Okay. I wrote down the phrase Frump Girl and didn't remember how it came up. Yeah, she calls her she calls herself that. Also, can you imagine going to a restaurant like that on a first date? No. Like candlelit dinner, white tablecloths. It's a very different idea of what dating is. But they are also much older too. They're in their 30s. I she is are she 30s. is 30. Okay, but he, She's not I, much yeah. older than you, Fiona. Uh, uh, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I am not 30. I didn't say you were 30. I said she's not much older than you. I am more than a year away from 30. That That is a truth. I do want to say, also, very bold of him to ask her out on a second date for the next night. Oh, yeah. That's how you know he's interested. He's got to lock it down. Look, we know she doesn't have a life. She's got nothing else going on. I mean, we do. He doesn't. <laughs> he could probably guess, though. He rolled the dice. Because off. I think when he says, I don't remember Frump Girl... He did. He's just being nice. Yes. So Um, they do then go on that second date the next day. They do. And you see them walking around and they start talking about their families. And she kind of tries to break up with him then because she's like, my family is crazy and loud and Greek and you wouldn't understand. And they don't want me dating a non-Greek. And there's no way this will work. And he's like, nope, I want to be with you. I'm all in. Let's go. So then they continue dating in secret under the guise of pottery class. We mostly get a montage of him dropping her off. She keeps having him drop her off a little bit down the street so that he's not seen. But what we're really seeing is that Ian is super horny. Yes. And really into her. And at one point, like, they're making out so hard that when she gets out of the car, she's, like, staggering away up towards the (laughs) Greek festooned house that she lives in. (laughs) Okay, here's one thing, is that if my lie were going to be that I'm taking a pottery class... You gotta start bringing some pottery around. You also have to not be leaving your house in a nice dress. Yeah. I took a pottery class. I wore, like, old long sleeve t-shirts that I didn't care about. I wore jeans. Like, if you get that clay on you, it's not coming off. And also, you gotta start bringing some pottery home. Exactly. Who couldn't solve that one? She was not subtle. They're a Greek family. They're, like, the kings of pottery. How didn't they know this? Pottery, one of the things invented by the Greeks, I'm sure we could learn. I'm sure we could. Like a Grecian urn could be showing up at their home one day. I think that would take more than a couple weeks of pottery classes. Probably. Yeah, what is the timeline in this movie? It's not entirely clear. Yeah. I think it's purposefully vague. Yeah, which works in its favor. True. It is worth noting that they did not have to add a lot of decoration to that house. The real life house has a lot of those decorations. Are you serious? Yes. That's amazing. Even the, the garage door with the Greek flag? I believe so. Oh my gosh. Well, it has a lot of character. All right. So they're secretly dating, but then... They're found out. They're found out. Point three. Okay, Tula. Maybe you are having a little romance. Hmm? But end it now. I love him. Oh, Tula, eat something. Yeah, so point three, their families find out. Well, first, one of her cousins, Nikki, aunts, someone. Oh, no, yeah. no, someone else sees it's them in a parking Nikki's lot making out. Mom's cousin, 
I think. Okay. And Nikki's mom is Andrea Martin, who is the sister of Tula's mom. Yes. And they, the two of them together, I love them. They're great. Whoa is me. (laughs) Uh, Business is bid. So then- She's doing like a Russian accent practically. Yeah. But I love her. She's great. Oh, it's great. We will see her again next week playing an Italian woman. Ooh, fun. Wait, really? Yeah. I did not know that. I love her. You might say it's great news that we're seeing her again. Oh my gosh, it is. Uh, So then Nikki walks in on them making out in the travel agency and calls him Mr. Pottery Class. And so the family is very upset at a couple of things. They're mad that they were lied to and that this was a secret. Fiona, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's reasonable for them to be mad for being lied to? What? Do you think it would be reasonable for a person to be mad because they were lied to? I don't know what you're referring to. Let's say hypothetically that somebody once told their friend that witches lived in a house (laughs) on their street in the hopes of scaring their friend away from going near that house. Would it be reasonable for the friend to get angry with that person? No, it's funny. (laughs) Where'd you get this scenario? Where do you think? I don't know. This sounds like a story you once told. Could be, could be. Can't remember. Well, that sounds like a lie. I'm seeing you smiling as you said that. So you're now lying about your lies, which is how we know it's Fiona we're talking to. <laughs> what, you thought I was an imposter this whole time? Well, now I'm certain. <laughs> okay. If you were an imposter, that would be a person lying about being you. So it would be a very good impression of you. True. Okay. Well, let's move past that. Um, the family is also upset. That Ian is not Greek, and the dad also mentions his long hair. He does not like the long hair. He's exeno. He's also mad that Ian never asked permission to date his daughter. And I did like what Ian was like, well, she's 30, so she doesn't need it. <laughs> I also loved when Tula tells her mom, I love him, and her mom just looks at her and says, eat something, as if that would change her mind or something like that. In that moment, she felt to me like Mrs. Claus from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Santa? Yeah, so then they just continue to date. They build their relationship. Meanwhile, her father keeps inviting his Greek men friends over to dinner. And they're all old, really weird, but they're all seated next to Tula. It's very much like they're trying to set her up with these men. It's it felt a big very sick much like moment. the big sick. Yes. Yes. When the mom is always like, oh, who could that be stopping by? Right, because they're always framed to Tula as like, oh, just one of your father's friends is coming over for dinner. But they clearly have been told, like, you might be marrying the daughter. Right. And Tula finds out about this when she's setting the table and there's an extra plate and she goes to put it away. And the mom's like, no, there's a friend coming. Or maybe a friendlier coming if things go well. Ooh. Oh, Will. (laughs) Great reference. So they're continuing to date and Ian brings Tula over to meet his parents. And they are the waspiest people (laughs) you could ever meet. Um, they can cut loose, though. They can, but we don't know that yet. Oh, that conversation is awful. They're so stiff. And then they start talking about Rodney, Ian's father, uh, a secretary that he used to have. And they say, oh, he was Greek. And then they're like, no, no, he was Armenian. She was Armenian. And then they, they end up deciding that she was Brazilian. Guatemalan. She was Guatemalan. Just... Oh, you're right. Guatemalan. Sorry. You're now part of the problem, I, Fiona. I know. I, not... <laughs> I, I didn't get enough sleep last night. She is Guatemalan, and Tula has to sit there and listen while they equate all of these different countries, and she explains very awkwardly to them that her last name means orange, but not the kind with the peel. No, it is the kind with the peel. Oh, it is the kind with the peel. It's not the color. Jinx. So it's very awkward, and then a couple things- Can I just say before I forget, 
It is wild that they meet each other's parents before they say I love you. Like, he doesn't say I love you for the first, or it, or at least maybe they just say it and it's not supposed to be the first time. But it feels yeah, like the first time. Have, yeah, maybe. It I don't feels know. like the very first time. um i think i always assumed that they had said it but i don't know i did not assume that okay on a recent vacation i took we bought a souvenir hat from the worst souvenir store the grossest one we could find and anyone who made a dad joke or acted like a dad had to wear the hat and does it have does it say will on it and i was just thinking you said that joke and i was just like my first thought was Where's the hat? And it has <laughs> now invaded my brain. But would Bears recommend for any group vacation getting a dad hat. It makes things very fun. I Can think you describe the hat thing. to us? Um, So we were in Wales. And so it was a red, white, and green flat cap with a dragon on the front. And it said Wales and Wales in Welsh. Good. Oh, no. That's a dad hat. Yeah, it was. I don't even like hearing about that. <laughs> So do you have the hat right now? Could no. you put it on for us? No, my friend what? James was the most dad, so he got to keep uh, the hat. He gets he's the keeper of the hat. Well, I'm sorry I didn't get to see it. Hearing about the daddest dad reminded me of an incredible story I heard one time. I was at this party and somebody who went to University of Virginia was telling me that when they were there, there was a Facebook group that was attempting to include every person named Chad in Charlottesville. And their goal was then to determine amongst the group who was the chattest Chad. That's incredible. That is fun. I like that. Yeah. A total Chad thing to do. So anyway, Tula and Ian have met each other's parents, but then... And it's a conflict because Ian's parents are like very buttoned down and don't really know what to do with Tula. And Tula's family is too much. They have no sense of boundaries. Right. (laughs) Right. Because this is where we get to the meeting of the whole family. Well, first, they get engaged. Right. They have clearly just made out. Ian says, I love you. Maybe or maybe not for the first time. I thought it was the first time, which is why I was so perplexed when he then proposed to her. Yeah, it was insane. That's going to knock a couple points off the believability scale for me. If it's the first time, which I believe it is. And because we don't even know how long they've been together for. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so point four. So now they're engaged. So point four is wedding prep. Wedding prep. It is. Yeah. We have a customer at the dry cleaners who's a custom jewelry designer. So I showed her the fabric. Wait, wait, what do these match? Not that fabric you showed me last week. You said you liked it. I said I'd think about it. Okay, so Tula's parents are very unhappy. And uh, she uses that. She wants to just run away. She wants to go to Vegas and get married. But then Ian's like, nope, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work. So he agrees to get baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church. Which her husband did in real life. Oh, cool. So he goes, he gets baptized, he celebrates Easter with them. And Tom Hanks did in real life, actually. Oh, oh yeah, cool. I did know that. I did not. During Ian's baptism, one moment I liked is when she was talking to her brother in the pews, and she says something, I keep expecting him to look over and realize I'm not worth it. And her brother just goes, yes, you are. Uh, her brother is the sweetest sweetest brother i have ever seen in a movie they don't have a lot of screen time together but they have a really lovely relationship every yeah, yeah. think about the scene where she's encouraging his art career yeah every time they're on screen together it's very nice and sweet and he likes to like tease everybody else but he's so nice to her yeah which makes sense because you you do get the real impression that prior to the events of the movie she has some real challenges with self-esteem and really doesn't push back when things she doesn't like are going on right. and he respects that and supports her then with what she needs 
Right. Ah, uh, great brother. So yeah, so they celebrate Easter. Uh, what is what's the name of the aunt? Andrea Martin. What's her character's name? Vula. Vula. Uh, so she wants to invite Ian over. And Tula is like, yeah, that really won't work. He's a vegetarian. And she goes, oh, no, it's okay. I'll cook lamb, which I love. Never referenced again. No, No, it's not. I don't think that gets funnier if we see more of it. I know. I just find it really funny that it's like a big deal. I was expecting it to come up with the parents again. But I do like that it doesn't in the sense that, again, it's this movie eschewing needless conflict. That is true. It's got the culture clash, but it's never going to do anything too tiresome. Where you then divert the movie and have to spend a lot of time on the resolution of a fairly meaningless conflict. Right. Right. So after Easter is when they finally have the families meet. And Tula thinks it's literally just going to be her immediate family and Ian's family. But since this is her family, that's not how it goes. And it is the entire extended family. Roasting a pig on the lawn. Yes, in the front lawn with music playing. They're dancing. They have like torches. It's catered, it seems. It looks like a real party. Yeah, it looks like a bomb. Like, it looks great. Yeah, and this is when Ian's mom brings a bunt cake, and nobody knows what that is. I love that they put a plant in the middle to cover up the fact that there's a hole in the cake. (laughs) It's one of my favorite visual gags in this movie, for sure. Yes, yes. And at that point, too, his parents are just shit-faced on Uzo. Uzo, oh my gosh, yeah. And then you see them start to loosen up a little bit, and this is also one of my favorite words that exists that's not even a real word, is babopsy. My God, Vula talks about how she absorbed her twin. Because she has a little little bag of teeth on her throat, teeth and a spinal cord. Yeah, I love that she's just like I know we just met for the first time, but we're family now. So they're Greek now. Yeah. So after the party, everyone it seems a little bit uncomfortable, but they have a good time, and everyone has left the house, and you hear Tula's father calling them a toast family and asking why they don't add a little marmalade to their lives. Paddington would ask the same thing. Exactly. I think he, he would ask must it of be all friends of us. with Paddington. Yeah. So meanwhile, they're still trying to do all the wedding planning and they're battling with her family over who needs to be invited. Her sisters, like extended in-law family expects to be invited they went ahead and made the wedding invitations without consulting them and they of course have the greek flag and they refer to ian's parents as instead of rodney and harriet they are rodney and harry which goes over fine i mean rodney makes a joke about it at the wedding he says hey harry you want to dance exactly i think it's fun and then nikki shows tula these earrings she picked out that go perfectly with the bridesmaid dresses that Tula has apparently never seen. And I have to say, they are some of the ugliest dresses I have ever seen. No, Tula saw them and said no. No, she saw the fabric. Oh, she She saw saw the the fabric. fabric And said maybe, and Nikki said that's because you couldn't visualize the dress. They could be one of the 27 dresses. They could be. And then, oh my god, this is point five, but her wedding dress. My god. Holy cow. Yeah, so point number five is their wedding. Uh, I, I was thinking uh, last night, uh, the night before my, my daughter going to marry uh, Ian Miller, that, um, you know, the root of the word Miller is a Greek word. And, and, and Miller comes from the Greek word Milo, which is mean apple. So there you go. Yeah, so we're there now. And... 
They're getting ready for the wedding. She's got a huge zit on her face. Her dad tells her to spray Windex on it. She doesn't. We later find out that Ian also had one and he did spray Windex on it and it has disappeared. And Fiona's going to tell us about what happens when you dip your elbow in a bowl of Windex. She has promised to do this. (laughs) Stay tuned. And it, it is, you kind of see more of the family dynamic when they're at the wedding. The The side of the church for Tula's family is completely full. And Ian's side just has a couple of rows. Tula's family all spits on her as she walks down the aisle. And Rodney and Harry look horrified at this. But the wedding goes off well. It does. They have they a great married. time at the reception. Her parents gift them a house, which they find out is the house next door to their own house. Ian's parents have a great time. They're all getting along really well. And... They all live happily ever after. And then they flash forward and you see them have a kid. Yeah. Fiona, you have seen the sequel to this, right? I have. How is it? It's I, it's not a great movie, but did I enjoy watching it? Yes. There are even, there are like some inconsistencies with the timing of things. Like the daughter goes to prom and then leaves prom to go to her grandparents' wedding But it's in the middle of the day, but it doesn't make sense because prom is never in the middle of the day. Because the whole premise of the movie is that the parents, Tula's parents, find out that they were never officially married because the priest forgot to sign the marriage license. So they do a new marriage. Exactly. It's not great, but it was kind of fun to see. Just to see the characters all together again. All right. So after watching the whole Greek wedding, fat and all. The BFG wedding. The BFG wedding. <laughs> With the grum grubblers. Do you find the romance between Tula and Ian believable? I do. I do, do too. I think they do a good job establishing their relationship in a way where it's honestly one of the few rom-com relationships where the man is never creepy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it also helps that it's c- kind of based off a true story, too. Yeah. But it's so refreshing to see a man respect boundaries and treat her like an equal and is right. never creepy about their relationship. And exactly. is also supportive of her wackier aspects without being, like I said earlier, patronizing about it. Right. Right. And he doesn't make it seem like they're a, like a real struggle for him to deal with or accept. Right. The biggest criticism we came up with was he asked her for Greek food on their first date, which right. is not great, but it's also way down the line compared to the other romances we've covered on this show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Fiona, where would you rank it on the 10-point scale? I kind of want to give it a 10. Whoa! Whoa. I mean, you could do it. I said it's very believable. It's based off a true story. I I can't think of any real points. He proposed after saying I love you for the first time. I don't think it was the first time. I don't know. I was leaning towards like an 8. Yeah, I think I'm there too. If the time frame was clearer, I would probably be higher. But This is also... I will say, Fiona giving something a 10 and me and Mark giving something an 8 is also how the ratings came down for <laughs> High School Musical. Oh my god. <laughs> I gave it a 10. Stop. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. All right. Do you guys think that Tula and Ian are dateable people? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ian, absolutely. And yeah, I would right. say Tula, too. Tula yeah, is. I think... Especially as she gains self-confidence through the movie. Yeah. Yes. I think they both are, pr- pretty much. If you did have to pick one person to date, who would it be? I think Ian. I think Ian's the clear choice. Like, he's a nice dude. He's very supportive. He seems like a great guy. And, like, he is willing to get involved in her life and her family life and relationships. But he also is respectful enough not to push that when she's not ready for it. 
Her brother seems yeah. pretty great too. He's an artiste. He's my number two. Who, like the brother is definitely my other option. An artiste who loves his family and can cook yeah. Greek food. See, I'm suspicious of the bacon on his the face. Bacon, yeah, a little gross. Yeah. I hopefully he can he will wash his face. Hopefully. Do you guys think that Tula and Ian would stay together? Yes. I see no reason for them to not. Well, if you're going based off of the real marriage, mm, no. Based the real marriage lasted about together? it lasted about twenty years, and then they divorced. And the reason they said was that they had become more friends than romantic partners. It it's a very interesting, hmm. di- like it's a very interesting statement about your divorce. Yeah, yeah. But I do think the way the movie ends, Tula and Ian would stay together. Oh, it absolutely. certainly implies that. So, a lot of the movies that we cover on this show have been adapted for the stage in musical form. Should there be a My Big Fat Greek Wedding musical? So, I feel like this movie almost already is one. It is structured in so many ways like a musical. There's this scene where Tula walks out of Dancing Zorba's, the restaurant, and is holding the crumpled like college flyer and literally music is swelling. And I'm like, this should be a song right here. This is an, I want song. This is skid row. And there are like a lot of other moments like that, where it just feels like almost there needs to be a song there. I feel like this movie is demanding to be a musical. I agree. Yeah. I'm a little upset. It doesn't exist yet. I searched pretty hard because I was like, this must have happened at some point. And it hasn't. The combination of the, dinner scene you could do a song where you have the dinner scene between the parents and it's like super boring classical music on one side of the stage and really fun loud greek music on the other yeah i mean there's just there's so much there we should write it all right guys get to work fiona bring us a treatment the next time you come on the show okay okay all right i think that does it for this movie until we get the first draft of our book and music (laughs) for the upcoming My Big Fat Greek Wedding musical. Fiona, the next time you're on the show, we're going to ask you to sing some of the songs from it, okay? Okay. Next week, we'll be moving from Greek Town to Little Italy with the film Little Italy. Oh boy! Mark, have you seen this yet? I have not. I have seen Hayden Christensen in nothing except for the Star Wars prequels, and boy, am I dreading it. It is uh, <laughs> not good, but I certainly had a fun. I watched it a year ago, and I have not yet watched it again, but I am looking forward to it. I might try and get my friends to watch it with me. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can always email us questions or movie suggestions, which we might get to sooner than you think, at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from My Big Fat Greek Wedding? You should find their place of work, stand outside the window, and perform a show. Well, way to take what happens naturally and uncreepy in this movie and phrase it in a way that makes it sound <laughs> creepy. What? Find Nothing the place I say that, sounds creepy. Find the place where they work. Stand outside the window and put on a Stare show at them. for their love. <laughs> well, yeah, if you use that voice, it's creepy. It's the same thing. Uh, I don't know. You do know. No, I don't. I say... The best advice I got from this movie is, I don't know, respect women's boundaries and it's possible to flirt without being creepy. That's so reasonable. I got an understanding of modern technology can put you in the place to find true love. Download Hinge now. Hey! <laughs> Our spawn okay, I was in New York for the episode. In January, and I was in multiple subway cars 
where along one side of the car, every ad was for Hinge. And along the other side of the car, every ad was for a wedding planning app. They really coordinated that. It was wild. All right. There you go. (laughs) Hinge will get you hitched. Hinge, (laughs) send the check to 123 Sesame Street, New York, New York. I don't know the postcode. They'll find it. We're really getting squeezed by Tony Anthony these days, (laughs) so we're trying to attract some other (laughs) sponsors. Until next time. Squarespace money had way more strings attached than we expected. (laughs) Until next time. We specifically said no strings attached (laughs) or friends with benefits. Oh my gosh. I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. (laughs) So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. I like that you reintroduced yourself in case they forgot. (laughs) I know. I feel like I haven't spoken enough, and I need to remind people that I'm here. Will, you have never not spoken enough in an <laughs> episode of this, I think. Bye! Bye! Bye!